Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to this week's edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we discuss some of the best moments, best names, and best memories in sports history. I'm Dana Augusta, your host, and I'm back again with another show highlighting the best in sports history, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to hear what's going on in the world of sports history. And as a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast if you like which you hear here, and check out our Twitter page at HistoricallySP2 for your daily dose of sports history. So on today's show, we will continue to gear up for the upcoming NFL season. And in the last episode, we talked about all of the Hall of Famers that came from historical black colleges and universities. Now, this episode, we will combine NFL history with fantasy football. And in the main event, We'll take a look at all the great players that have ever played in the National Football League and construct each franchise's all-time team in a fantasy football format, which I'm sure would create some debate and conjecture. Also this week, we'll have the top five history-making performances and events that celebrated anniversaries this week, and as well as a shout-out going to one of the darkest and most tragic incidents in baseball history. An incident that forever changed the game and the way that it's governed. So sit back, enjoy the show, and you're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast from the Sports History Network. Welcome back to the show, sports fans. I'm Dana Augusta, and this is the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. This is a portion of the program which is called The Main Event. And in this episode, we will continue with the NFL history theme, which is my way of gearing up for the rapidly approaching NFL season. The NFL is the most popular sport in the country, and fans from across the nation and countless places around the world are looking forward to this upcoming season to get underway. To go along with the popularity of pro football is also the popularity of fantasy football when fans select players on teams 
based on their performances during the week and on awarded points and the collection of players with the most points win games against other participants. Now, I wanted to combine NFL history with fantasy football, and I've come up with a list of the greatest players who have ever played the game on a team that on the team that they're most identified with, but in a fantasy football format, regardless of the era. Now, to do this, certain guidelines had to be followed. For example, one player could not be on two different teams. For example, players like Kurt Warner or Paul Warfield had to be part of a team where they achieved their most success. Now, each team features not only players, but also that franchise's greatest and most recognizable coach. So here are some ground rules that I came up with. Each team has two quarterbacks, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, three defensive players, a kicker, and what I call a flex player, meaning that a player that could be considered one of the best pure athletes on the team and could score points for you in many different ways. So each team features one offensive and one defensive reserve and, of course, a coach. So now, without further delay, this is my list that I came up with, starting with the, with the NFC East. Starting off with the New York Giants, established in 1925. Their coach, of course, Bill Parcells. The quarterbacks, Phil Simms and Eli Manning. Running backs, Tiki Barber, Joe Morris, and the receiving core will feature Armani Toomer, Homer Jones, and Kyle Rote. Tight end would be big bruiser Mark Bavaro. On the defensive side of the ball, you have Lawrence Taylor, Michael Strahan, Harry Carson, and kicker would be Pete Gogolak. The flex player, Frank Gifford, and the reserve on offense would be Y.A. Tittle at quarterback and defensive reserve, Sam Huff. Now, the New York Giants are the NFL's flagship franchise. Their fantasy team is loaded with all pros and Hall of Famers. You can't go wrong with Lawrence Taylor on defense. Two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks in the NFL's first soccer-style kicker. Next up would be the Dallas Cowboys. Established in 1960, their head coach, Tom Landry. The two quarterbacks, Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman. Running backs, Emmitt Smith and Tony Darsett. Their three receivers would be Michael Irvin, Drew Pearson, and Tony Hill. The tight end would be Jason Witten. The three defensive players, Bob Lilly, Randy White, and Mel Renfro. And the kicker, Raphael Septien. And the flex player would be Formerly the late great Bob Hayes, the world's fastest human. The reserves would be quarterback Tony Romo and the defensive reserve cornerback Darren Woodson. Now, what would be America's team be without Roger Starbuck at quarterback? I mean, joining Starbuck in the backfield is the NFL's all-time leading rusher, Emmitt Smith, accompanied by a solid defense and talented receivers. The Cowboys fantasy team is worthy of that star on the side of their helmets. The next team, it would be the Philadelphia Eagles, established in 1933. Their head coach, Andy Reid. The two quarterbacks would be Donovan McNabb and Norm Van Brocklin. The running backs, Wilbert Montgomery and Steve Van Buren. The receiver core would be Harold Carmichael, Mike Quick, and Tommy McDonald. With tight end Pete Retzleff. The defensive players, Reggie White, Eric Allen, Brian Dawkins. With the kicker, Tony Franklin, the first barefoot kicker in the NFL. The flex position would be held down by Deshaun Jackson. The reserve would be quarterback Ron Jaworski on offense and defense linebacker Charlie Bednarik. 
Eagle fans are the most passionate and notorious in the NFL. Although they did boo Santa, they would be hard-pressed to boo this team that represented the best of the city of brotherly love could offer. There would be a debate on who would be the starting quarterback, but I feel McNabb will win out over the Flying Dutchman. And finally, the Washington football team established in 1932. Their head coach, Joe Gibbs. The two quarterbacks would be Sammy Ball and Sonny Jurgensen. The running backs, John Riggins and Larry Brown. The three receivers would be Art Monk, Charlie Taylor, and Gary Clark. The tight end would be Jerry Smith. The three defensive players, Charles Mann, Dexter Manley, and London Fletcher. And the kicker would be Mark Mosley with the flex defensive back Daryl Green. On offense, you had running back Clinton Portis and defense linebacker Chris Hanberger. Washington have had have had a have been traditionally a running team. Two very two of the very best were John Riggins and Larry Brown, which perfectly complement each other. Though their running styles were significantly different, both were key cogs in the Super Bowl teams. Moving over to the NFC North, you have the Chicago Bears, established in 1920. Their head coach would be George Hallis. Their quarterback would be Sid Luckman and Jim McMahon. The running backs, Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, and the receivers, Johnny Morris, Willie Galt, and Curtis Conway. The tight end would be Mike Ditka. The three defensive players, Dick Butkus, Richard Dent, and Mike Singletary. And with Kevin Butler as the kicker, and the flex player would be Devin Hester. The reserves on offense, Bronco Nagurski at running back, and defensive reserve linebacker Brian Erlacher. Traditionally, the Bears have been a running team that was complemented by a ferocious defense, and this team is no exception. I mean, how can you lose with a backfield of Sweetness and the Kansas Comet? Meanwhile, picking just three defensive players from this franchise was no easy task to say the least. Next up would be their main rivals, the Green Bay Packers, established in 1919. Of course, we have their head coach, Vince Lombardi. The two quarterbacks... Hmm, this one was tough, but I had to go with Brett Favre as the starter with Bart Starr as the backup. Running backs would be Jim Taylor and Amon Green. The receivers, Sterling Sharp, Don Hudson, and Donald Driver. With Jermichael Finley as the tight end. The defensive players, Ray Nitschke, Herb Adderley, and Willie Davis. With the kicker, Mason Crosby. Now the uh, flex position would be held down by Paul Horning. The reserves on offense would be quarterback Aaron Rodgers and the defense cornerback Willie Wood. Who would pick this team's starting quarterback? Who would you pick? For a team that's known for a long time as a running team, you have three of the best quarterbacks in the business in this franchise. Although Starr has a postseason record of 9-1 overall in the postseason, I have to take Favre as a starter over Starr and Rodgers just for the entertainment. Next up would be the Minnesota Vikings, established in 1961, and their head coach would be Bud Grant. The two quarterbacks for the Vikings would be Fran Tarkington and Tommy Kramer. The running backs, Adrian Peterson and Chuck Foreman. The receivers, Chris Carter, Anthony Carter, and Steve Jordan. The defensive uh, players would be Alan Page, Jim Marshall, and Carl Ella, with the kicker, Gary Anderson. Their flex player would be a defensive player, this time cornerback Paul Krause. And the reserves on offense would be running back Tommy Mason, who goes back to the early 60s with the Vikings, and defensive end John Randall, the reserve on defense. Now, the Vikings fantasy team is loaded with big play weapons on offense. Fran Tarkington had every passing record by the time he retired in 79. Could you imagine him throwing the ball to Randy Moss or Chris Carter? 
Joining the receiving core of the Vikings is Anthony Carter, one of the most underrated receivers of the 1980s. Adding to that offensive threat in the backfield is Adrian Peterson and Chuck Foreman. And the defense, three members of the Purple People Eaters. It is a wonder Minnesota never won a Super Bowl. And finally, to round out that division will be the Detroit Lions, established in 1934. The coach, I had to go back and forth, but I had to go with Wayne Fox. Now, the quarterback is Bobby Lane. With the, uh, Bobby Lane and Matthew Stafford will be the quarterbacks. Uh, Barry Sanders and Doak Walker, the running backs. Running back Calvin Johnson and Herman Moore and Johnny Martin, the three receivers. Tight end would be Hall of Famer Charlie Sanders. On defense, the players would be Joe Schmidt at linebacker, Lynn Borney at cornerback, and Dick Knight trained Lane at the other corner. Kicker is longtime Lions kicker Eddie Murray with the flex is Billy Sims. Reserves on offense would be wide receiver Brett Perriman and on defense Chris Spielman. Now, it may be a surprise to people that the Lions were more than just Barry Sanders. Starting at quarterback is Bobby Lane, who led Detroit to championships in the 1950s. And on defense, the Lions showcased two Hall of Fame DBs and an all-time great at linebacker. This team will overall make the Motor City proud. And even though Matthew Stafford is now a member of the Los Angeles Rams, his accomplishments at quarterback in Detroit is very considerable. Now, moving down to the NFC South, we're going to start with the New Orleans Saints, established in 1967. Their head coach would be Sean Payton. The quarterbacks would be Drew Brees and Archie Manning. The running backs, Deuce McAllister and George Rogers. Wide receivers, Marcus Colston, Eric Martin, and Joe Horn, with tight end Hobie Brenner. The defensive players, linebacker Ricky Jackson, cornerback Roman Harper, and defense and defensive end Wayne Martin. With the kicker, Martin Anderson. The flex player would be current running back Alvin Kamara. Reserves would be quarterback Bobby Hebert and on defense linebacker Pat Swelling. Now, over the last decade and a half, the Saints have been at the top of the NFL in total offense, and this fantasy team would be no exception. With Breeze and backup Archie Manning, the Saints would be a potent, have a potent passing game with outstanding trio of receivers. And to balance this offensive attack, the Saints would have matched set of power backs with McAllister and George Rogers, just to keep the defenses honest. Their next up will be their main rivals in the division, the Atlanta Falcons, established in 1966. Their head coach, Jerry Glanville. The quarterbacks would be Matt Ryan and Michael Vick. Running backs would be Gerald Riggs and Jamal Anderson. Wide receivers, Julio Jones, Andre Risen, and Roddy White, with tight end Jim Mitchell. On defense, Tommy Novis, Jesse Tuggle, and Claude Humphrey, with kicker Matt Bryant. And the flex player would be none other than Deion Sanders. On offense, wide receiver Michael Haynes would be one reserve, and the other uh, (coughs) reserve would be defensive back Scott Case. The Atlanta Falcons fantasy team would be the personification of the city of Atlanta, a team that has both flash and swagger that the ATL is known for, with the likes of Michael Vick, running backs Jamal Anderson, and receivers Andre Risen, Julio Jones, and of course Deion Sanders at the flex. The Falcons would be... Basically, too legit to quit. So I did there. Okay, next up would be the Carolina Panthers, established in 1995. Their head coach would be their longtime coach, Ron Rivera. The quarterbacks would be Cam Newton and Jake DeLong, two quarterbacks that led them to Super Bowls. Uh, 
The running backs would be Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. Wide receivers, Steve Smith, Mushin Muhammad, and two tight ends in this match. In this, with this team, you have two very good tight ends with Wesley Walls and Greg Olson. And on defense, you have Julius Peppers, Sam Mills, and Luke Keekley. And on kicker, as a kicker, you have John Casey, but with the flex position, you have Christian McCaffrey. On offense, the reserve would be Stephen Davis, and on defense, linebacker Thomas Davis. Now, while the Panthers have been only around for a little over 25 years, this franchise brings a lot to the table as far as talented players. Now, if you notice, the Panthers have two tight ends and two receivers with two power running backs, a young superstar at the flex, and a running quarterback. You know what this team is looking to do. Next up, you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, established in 1976, with head coach John Gruden. The two quarterbacks would be Doug Williams and Vinny Testaverde. No, Tom Brady is not on this team. He's on another team. The running backs would be Mike Allstott and James Wilder. The two, the three, the four receivers, excuse me, would be Mike, Mike Evans, Keyshawn Johnson, and Mark Carrier with tight end Jimmy Giles. The defensive players would be Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, and Leroy Selman. And the kicker is Martin Gramatica. At the flex, you have running back Warwick Dunn. On offense, the um, reserve would be Joey Galloway, a wide receiver, and on defense, Rondé Barber. Defense have always been in the name of game in Tampa, both then and now. Their defense led the way in the early years of their franchise with Leroy Selman and later doing their Super Bowl run with Warren Sapp, Derrick Brooks, and Rondé Barber. To wrap up the NFC, we go, to the, we go out west with the Los Angeles slash St. Louis Rams, the team established in 1937 in Cleveland. Their head coaches, Dick Vermeil. The two quarterbacks, Kurt Warner and Bob Waterfield. The two running backs, Eric Dickerson and Marshall Falk. The three receivers, Elroy Crazy Legs, Hurst, Isaac Bruce, and Henry Ellard. And Torrey Holt as the fourth wide receiver since this team does not have a tight end. The defensive players would be Deacon Jones, Merlin Olsen, and Jack Youngblood. With Jeff Wilkins as the kicker. At the flex position, we have receiver Flipper Anderson. The reserves on offense have quarterback Roman Gabriel and on defense cornerback Eddie Metter. Whether it was in Los Angeles or St. Louis, the Rams have always had offense that could smoke anybody. And with Kurt Warner at the helm, this team could score and score often. Notice there's no tight ends. All pro and Hall of Fame receivers across the board as well as a pair of Hall of Fame running backs in the backfields. This team may have the best offense on this list. Next up, you have the San Francisco 49ers, established in 1946. Their head coach is Bill Walsh. Now, their quarterbacks would be Joe Montana and Steve Young. The running backs, Roger Craig and Frank Gore. The receivers, Jerry Rice, Gene Washington, and Terrell Owens. The tight end would be Brent Jones. On defense, you have Ronnie Lott, Leo Namalini, and Patrick Willis. The kicker is Ray, Ray Worshing, and at the flex, Dwight Clark. Offensive running backs reserve would be Hugh McElhaney, and on defense, the reserve is defensive end Charles Haley. Now, the San Francisco 49ers have always been the gold standard for offensive innovation throughout their history. And having Bill Walsh as coach and Joe Montana at quarterback, the Niners made winning look absurdly easy. 
This team with backs of Gore and Roger Craig and receivers Rice, Washington, and Owens were truly frustrating defenses. Next up is the Seattle Seahawks, established in 1976 and coached by Pete Carroll. The quarterbacks would be Russell Wilson and Matt Hasselbeck. The running backs, Marshawn Lynch and Sean Alexander. The three receivers, Steve Largent, Doug Baldwin, and Brian Blades. At tight end, you have Jimmy Graham. The three, defense, the three defensive players would be Cam Chancellor, Cortez Kennedy, and Kenny Easley, with their kicker being Norm Johnson. Their flex receiver, their flex player is Chris Warren. On offense, their reserve would be quarterback Dave Craig, and on defense, defensive back Dave Brown. Now, to win in Seattle, you have to battle the elements, and this team could do just that with a strong running game with Lynch and Alexander and a hard-hitting defense with the Seahawks have always been known for. Next up would be the Chicago slash St. Louis slash Phoenix slash Arizona Cardinals team established in 1898. Their coach would be Bruce Arians, even though he is the reigning Super Bowl champions coach in Tampa I pick him as the coach of the Arizona Cardinals. The two quarterbacks would be Jim Hart and Neil Lomax. Now notice, Kurt Warner's not on this list because he's with the Rams. And you can't have two players on two different teams, though he would be an obvious choice here in the desert. But with that rule in place, I go with Jim Hart and Neil Lomax as the quarterbacks. Running backs would be Otis Anderson and Terry Metcalf. At receivers, Larry Fitzgerald, Roy Green, and Antoine Bolden. And at tight end, Hall of Famer Jackie Smith. On defense, you have defensive back Larry Wilson, Aeneas Williams, and Patrick Peterson. And at the flex, you have Ernie Nevers. On on the reserves on offense, you have running back Stump Mitchell. And on defense, you have defensive back Roger Worley. As the NFL's oldest franchise, finding players for this team is daunting to say the least. The quarterbacks on this team, Hart and Lomax, were decent but not Hall of Fame worthy. Yet Fitzgerald anchoring a stellar receiving core and the Cardinals, the Cardinals have potential. At the flex is Ernie Nevels, who holds the record, who holds the oldest record in the NFL. In 1929, he scored all 40 of his team's points on Thanksgiving Day. With touchdowns and extra points. He is the definition of a flex player. That's the list of the, that's the list of the NFC. Coming up after this, we're going to go on to the AFC side and as well as my team, the Chargers. Who I have on that team? Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and we're continuing our journey through NFL history, talking about the greatest players in each franchise 
And also, we're going to put them in a fantasy football format. So, we did the NFC. Now, we're moving over to the AFC, starting off with the AFC East and the New England Patriots. Established in 1960, and their head coach on this team would be Bill Belichick. The two quarterbacks would be Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe. The running backs, Craig James and Sam Cunningham. The receivers, Wes Welker, Stanley Morgan, and Julian Edelman. And at tight end would be Rob Gronkowski. On defense, you have Andre Tippett at linebacker. Another linebacker would be Willie McGinnis. And defensive defensive back, Mike Haynes. The kicker will be Steven Guskowski. And at the flex position, you have a true flex player in Gino Capaletti, who was both a receiver and a kicker. The two reserves on offense, you have wide receiver Deion Branch and linebacker Sam Hunt. All of the players on this list, by far, the most obvious choice would be signal caller Tom Brady. Even his backup would be up for debate between Bledsoe and star quarterback of the 70s, Steve Grogan. Now, before Brady, before the Brady-Belichick era, the Patriots were a franchise with a multitude of great players, but no truly transcendent player. Well, this is until now. Next up, we have the New York Jets. Established in 1960, their head coach would be Weeb Eubank. The two quarterbacks, Joe Namath and Ken O'Brien. Running backs, Curtis Martin and Freeman McNeil. The three receivers, Don Maynard, Wesley Walker, and Wayne Krabett. And their tight end, Mickey Schuler. On defense, you have defensive tackle, Joe Klecko, linebacker, Bart Scott, and defensive back, Darrell Rivas. Their kicker, Pat Leahy. And at the flex, former Jets running back, Emerson Boozer. The reserves on offense, you have tight end, Rich Caster. And on defense, defensive end, Mark Gastineau. Now, when you review the history of the Jets, one realizes they are more than just Joe Namath. Offensively, the Jets offense could be anchored by all-pro running back Freeman McNeil and Hall of Famer Curtis Martin with, a, with solid possession receivers, receivers I'm sorry, like Don Maynard and Wayne Krebet. On defense, Joe Klecko, leader of, the famous infam- leader of the famous or infamous New York Sack Exchange of the 1980s, and two defensive stars, the Jets in later years, Bar Scott and Darrell Rivas. Next up, you have the Buffalo Bills. Established in 1960, and their coach would be Marv Levy. The two quarterbacks would be Jim Kelly and Jack Kemp. The running backs, O.J. Simpson, Thurman, and Thurman Thomas. Wide receivers, Andre Reid, James Lofton, and Eric Moulds, with their tight end, Pete Metzelars. On defense, Bruce Smith at defensive end, Cornelius Bennett, and Darrell Talley. Their kicker, Steve Christie, and at the flex, Elbert Dubinian. In the reserves on offense, you have quarterback Joe Ferguson and linebacker Harry Jacobs. Now, when the calendar turns December in upstate New York, you must be able to run the football. Having a pair of Hall of Fame running backs in OJ and Thurman Thomas would be a decided advantage. Most of this Bills team is made up of players from those great teams of the 90s, including defensive players Bruce Smith, Cornelius Bennett, and Darrell Talley. Next up will be their rivals in their division, the Miami Dolphins, established in 1966. And their coach, Don Shula. The two quarterbacks on this team would be Dan Marino and Bob Greasy, with running backs Larry Zonka and Tony Nathan. The receivers, Paul Warfield, Mark Duper, and Mark Clayton, with tight end Bruce Hardy. 
And on defense, you have linebacker Nick Bonacanti, linebacker Zach Thomas, and defensive end Jason Taylor with their kicker, Gary Yopremian. And at the flex, you have Mercury Morris. On offense, you have wide receiver Nat Moore as a reserve, and the defensive reserve will be linebacker Brian Cox. This collection of historic Miami Dolphin players come from two great eras of the aqua and orange. From the early 1970s when Miami was achieving perfection, Greasy, Zonka, Warfield, Bonaconte, and Morris were the big stars along South Beach. Now, by the 1980s, those names were replaced by Marino, Nathan, and the Marx brothers, Mark Duper, and Mark Clayton. <clears throat> Moving over to the NFC North, the hard, one of the hardest-hitting divisions in the NFL, you start off with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Established in 1933, and their head coach, Chuck Knoll, the man who started the Steeler dynasty in the 70s. At quarterback, you have Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger. The running backs, Franco Harris and Jerome Bettis. The receivers, Lynn Swan, Heinz Ward, and John Stallworth. And at tight end, Heath Miller. On defense, Joe Green, Rod Woodson, and James Harrison. The kicker would be Roy Jarella, and at the flex, Antoine Randall L. Reserves, Rocky Blyer on offense, and defense would be linebacker Jack Ham. Now, before the arrival of Chuck Noll in 1969, the Steelers franchise struggled, would struggle to say the least. But for the past 50 years, the black and gold from Steel Country showcases NFL royalty. Next up would be the Cleveland Browns. Established in 1936, and their coach would be Paul Brown. The two quarterbacks would be Otto Graham and Bernie Kosar. The running backs, Jim Brown, Leroy Kelly. The receivers, Webster Slaughter, Dante Lavelli, and Gary Collins, with their tight end, Ozzie Newsome. On defense, linebacker Clay Matthews, defensive back Joe Hayden, and defensive back Frank Minifield. Their kicker, Lou the Toe Groza, and at flex, Eric Metcalf. Now, the offensive reserve would be running back Ernest Biner and defensive tackle Michael Dean Perry. Otto Graham is one of two quarterbacks, in my, in, the list, in my opinion, on this list that are the most underrated in the 100-plus year history of the league. Imagine if you had a quarterback that leads the team to nine straight Super Bowl appearances. That is essentially what Graham did in the 40s and 50s, and of course, what all-time Browns team would be complete without Jim Brown. Next up would be the Cincinnati Bengals, established in 1968, and their head coach would be Marvin Lewis. The quarterbacks would be Ken Anderson and Boomer Esiason. Running backs would be Corey Dillon and Paul Robinson. The receivers, Chad Johnson, Isaac Curtis, and Chris Collinsworth. Their line, and their defensive end would be Tim McGee. The defensive players would be Tim Crumry, David Fulcher, and Ken Riley. And their head coach would be, I mean, their kicker, I'm sorry, would be Jim Breach. At the flex would be James Brooks. And the reserves on offense would be running back Pete Johnson and linebacker James Francis. One, of, one main debate with the Bengals, who would be their quarterback, Boomer Esiason or Ken Anderson? Both led Cincinnati to a Super Bowl. Both were all pro quarterbacks. I would give the nod to Anderson simply because he was the quarterback that pioneered the West Coast offense. Next up would be the Baltimore Ravens, established in 1996. And their coach would be John Harbaugh. The quarterbacks would be Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson. 
Running backs, Jamal Lewis and Ray Rice. Receivers, Torrey Smith, Brandon Stokely, and Derek Mason. And their tight end would be Todd Heap. Their kicker would be Justin Tucker. On defense, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Terrell Suggs. With their flex being Mark Clayton. On offense, their reserve would be quarterback Trent Dilfer. And on defense, defensive tackle Haloti Nada. Now, when you talk about the Baltimore Ravens, it's defense all day and defense all night. Obvious choices on defense with this group, but the hard part was offense. Yeah, I know Lamar Jackson is a possible MVP choice this year and probably will take overtake Flacco historically if he hadn't done so already. Yet, also right now for me, Flacco is the starter. Next up would be the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans. Team was established in 1960, and their coach for this fantasy format would be Bum Phillips. The quarterback would be Warren Moon and Steve McNair. The running backs would be Eddie George and Earl Campbell. The receivers, Charlie Hennigan, Ernest Givens, and Ken Burrow, with Frank Wycheck as the tight end. On defense, you have linebacker Elvin Bethay. Defensive back Ken Houston and defensive tackle Ray Childress. And their kicker would be Al Del Greco. At the flex, you have Billy White Shoes Johnson, one of the coolest nicknames in all of pro sports. And on reserve, you have all, on offensive reserve, we have quarterback Dan Pastorini. And on defense, the reserve would be defensive end Javon Curse. The Oilers slash Titans franchise have always been a quiet offensive juggernaut. The biggest stars of this team were big play offensive threats, beginning with receiver Charlie Hennigan, who was the best receivers of the AFL in the 1960s. Through the power running of Earl Campbell and the passing of Warren Moon and the two-headed attack of the Titans during the Super Bowl run of McNair and George, this franchise has always been loaded, yet understated. Next up will be the Baltimore slash Indianapolis Colts, established in 1953, and their coach would be Tony Dungy. The quarterbacks of this team would be Peyton Manning and John Unitas, with running backs Edger and James and Lydell Mitchell. At receiver, you have Marvin Harrison, Raymond Berry, and Reggie Wayne, with tight end John Mackey. On defense, Dwight Freeney at defensive end, Gino Marchetti at defensive end, and Robert Mathis at linebacker. And their kicker would be Adam Vinatieri. At the flex, you have Hall of Famer Lenny Moore. On reserve, you have Burt Jones at quarterback on the offense, and the defensive reserve would be Eugene Big Daddy Lipscomb. Who would you start, Manning or Unitas? Two of the greatest quarterbacks of their eras, are the offensive leaders of this franchise who are considered the original America's team, covered with a solid run, running of Lydell Mitchell and Edger and James, the coach receiving core is the stuff of legend. At the flex, you have Lenny Moore, who was the prototype of the modern dual-threat running back. Moore was the first back to be equally effective both running and receiving out of the backfield. Rounding out that, uh, also we have Jacksonville Jaguars, Established in 1995, and their head coach is Tom Coughlin. At quarterback, you have Mark Brunel, David Garrard, and at receivers, I mean at running backs, I'm sorry, you have Fred Taylor, Maurice Jones-Drew. Now at the receiving core, you have Keenan McCardle, Jimmy Smith, 
and Cecil Shorts with tight end Mercedes Lewis. On defense, you have Paul Puzlesny, John Henderson, and Donovan Darius with kicker Josh Goby. And at the flex, you have Leonard Fournette. On reserve, you have quarterback Blake Bortles and the linebacker Daryl Smith. Now, Jacksonville have had a very interesting 25-plus years. Interesting in the fact that their greatest era occurred within the first five years of their existence. This is illustrated in the fact that their quarterback, running back, and two receivers on that team, on the team that reached the AFC title game in the franchise the second year in the league. And rounding out this division is the Houston Texans, established in 2002 with head coach Bill O'Brien. Quarterback Deshaun Watson and Matt Schaub will be the offensive signal callers. At running back, Arian Foster and Dominic Williams. Receivers will be Andre Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, and Kevin Walter, and tight end Owen Daniels. On defense, you have J.J. Watt, Brian Cushion, and D'Amico Ryans. At kicker, you have Chris Brown, and at the flex position, Oliver Miller. I mean, Lamar Miller, excuse me. On reserve, yeah, on offense, you have David Carr, and on defense, cornerback Jonathan Joseph. As the youngest franchise in the NFL, the Texans have a few current players on this squad, including Deshaun Watson and defensive end J.J. Watt. Yet you could make an argument that the best player in Texans history is Andre Johnson. And finally, we're going over to the AFC West, starting things off with the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. The team was established in 1960, and their coach, Sid Gilman. At quarterback, you have Dan Fouts and Phillip Rivers. Re- uh, running backs, you have LaDainian Tomlinson and Paul Lowe. Receiving core features, Lance Allworth, Charlie Joyner, and Wes Chandler. And Antonio Gates at tight end. The defensive players, Junior Seau, Fred Dean, and Gil Bird, and John Carney at the kicker. At the flex, you have Hall of Fame tight end Kellen Winslow. The reserves, at, on offense, you have running back Chuck Muncie, and on defense, the defensive tackle Gary Big Hands Johnson. The Charger Lightning Bolt has always represented quick strike capabilities on offense, and their fantasy team is loaded with big play talent, Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Fouts leading the way. He was the first to throw for over 4,000 yards in consecutive seasons. Joining Tomlinson in the backfield is Paul Lowe, the AFL's second all-time leading rusher, and on the outside, big big play threats galore, including Lance Allworth, the first AFL player inducted into Canton. Next up, you have the Denver Broncos, established in 1960. Their fantasy head coach is Mike Shanahan. At quarterback, you have John Elway and Craig Morton. Running backs, Terrell Davis and Floyd Little. Receivers, Rod Smith, Lionel Taylor, and Haven Moses. And at tight end, Shannon Sharp. On defense, linebacker Von Miller, Randy Gratishar, and Steve Atwater. Their kicker, Rich Carlos. And at the flex, Rick Upchurch. The reserves, would be Vance Johnson on offense and on defense, Tom Jackson. Now, for people, the history of the Denver Broncos begins and ends with John Elway. There's no doubt that he is the best player in Broncos history. Yet surrounding him on this team is equally impressive. 
The Bronco running backs Terrell Davis and Floyd Little are both in the Hall of Fame. And leading the receiving core is Lionel Taylor, who holds the distinction of being the first receiver with 100 catches in a season. Next up, you have the Dallas Texans slash Kansas City Chiefs, established 1960, and their fantasy coach, Hank Stram. At quarterback, you have Lynn Dawson and Pat Mahomes. Running backs, Priest Holmes and Christian Okoye. The receivers, Otis Taylor, Stephon Page, and Dwayne Bowe. And tight end, Tony Gonzalez. On defense, you have Derek Thomas, Willie Lanier, and Emmett Thomas. Their kicker, Jan Stenerud, the first pure kicker inducted into the Hall of Fame. And at the flex, Tyreek Hill. On offense, you have running back Abner Haynes and on defense, Bobby Bell. The Chiefs was one of the more difficult teams to construct because all of all the players in their history were equally talented in many different positions, especially on defense. And of the players listed on defensive side, all of them are in the Hall of Fame. Yet some had to be kept out with the likes of Buck Buchanan, Deron Cherry. And on offense, Lynn Dawson gets the nod over Pat Mahomes. Not only did Dawson lead the Chiefs to their only Super Bowl, to the only Super Bowl win, well, their first Super Bowl win, Dawson has more impressive passing yards, touchdowns, and has higher career than than Joe Montana. Now let that sink in for a second. Dawson, the most underrated quarterback ever. I'm going to say that again. Dawson has more passing yards, more touchdowns, and has a higher career completion percentage than Joe Montana. And finally, we have the Oakland slash Los Angeles slash Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders, established in 1960, and their fantasy coach, John Madden. At quarterback, you have Ken Stabler and Jim Plunkett. The running backs, Marcus Allen and Clarence Davis. The receivers, Tim Brown, Fred Bolitnikoff, and Cliff Branch. Defensive player, Howie Long. Defensive player Ted Hendricks and another defensive player would be Willie Brown. At kicker, Sebastian Janikowski. At the flex, Bo Jackson. The reserve on offense, you have Daryl LaMonica and on defense, defensive back Jack Tatum. The famed silver and black has to be led by, a court, by the quarterback that is the personification of Raiders attack, Ken Stabler. The long-haired, bearded, left-handed quarterback was not afraid to go along. Could you imagine the numbers that he would have had Tim Brown to throw to? Plus, you plus you could see Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson on the same team. That's absolutely scary. So that rounds out the fantasy portion of the of our program, the main event where we talked about the great players of every NFL franchise, and I put placed them all in a fantasy football format. I hope you enjoyed it. Coming up next is our top five featuring the five biggest sporting events and sports moments that have uh, celebrated anniversaries this past week. So please stay tuned and check that out.
Hello and welcome back to the show. And before we get on with the rest of the show, uh, one one sign that we're growing here at Historically Speaking Sports and the Sports History Network is we have now sponsored with newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a serious sports fan like myself. And if you're into sports history, you really do need to check out sports uh, newspapers.com. At newspapers.com, you can get access to over 640 million pages worth of news from the U.S., Canada, England, Scotland, Ireland, and more dating back to the 1700s. To get one free subscription to newspapers.com, you could do that by visiting the sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. And with a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support this show and other shows on the Sports History Network. That's sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Also, check out our Twitter feed at historicallysp2 for your daily dose of sports history. Also, you could drop us a line or two at our email address at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. That's historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And now, on to this week's Top five. And if you're new to the program, this is what we call the top five. The top five events in the annals of sports history that are celebrated anniversaries this past week. Starting off with number five. The summer, the 20th Summer Olympics opened in Munich, Germany. On August 26, 1972, the Summer Olympics returned to Germany for the first time since the Berlin Games of 1936. These games were unfortunately known for the terrorist group Black September who took Israeli's team hostage and later killed them at the Munich airport. Also the games were known for the US Olympic basketball team that lost for the first time in Olympic competition on one of the most dramatic and controversial finishes in the history of basketball. Number 4. The Green Bay Packers joined the National Football League. On August 27, 1921, a group of Wisconsin businessmen led by J.E. Clare was awarded a pro football franchise in the new American Pro Football Association, which that same year would become the NFL. Clare, who owned the Acme Packing Company, established the team name the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay is the smallest NFL market, but the Packers' impact of the history of the National Football League has been substantial, becoming one of the most recognizable teams in all of North America. Number 3. The American Football League is named. On August 22, 1959, a group of businessmen who wanted to own teams in pro football came together to establish a new league to compete directly with the more established NFL. The league would be called the American Football League, and it was announced that the league would be comprised of eight teams located in the cities of Boston, New York, Buffalo, Houston, Dallas, Los Angeles, and Minneapolis-St. Paul. Before their inaugural season could begin, however, Minneapolis-St. Paul franchise was replaced by the one in Oakland because Minneapolis-St. Paul market was taken by the rival NFL. Number 2. Jerry Rice retires as a 49er. In August, on August 24, 2006, perhaps the greatest receiver, or maybe by some accounts, the greatest player in NFL history, announced his retirement as a member of the team he became so synonymous with. 
doing his Hall of Fame career, Rice played a total of 20 seasons with 22,895 receiving yards and 97 touchdowns. Rice was a three-time Super Bowl champion, 13-time Pro Bowler, 10-time first-team All-Pro, and a member of the 1980s and All-1990 team. Rice was also the 1987 and 1993 Offensive Player of the Year. And number one sports event that happened this past week. Pete Rose banned for baseball for life by Major League Baseball. On August the 24th, 1989, Pete Rose, longtime player and now manager of the Cincinnati Reds, was suspended from baseball for life by Major League Baseball for betting on games during his tenure as a player manager of the Reds. The suspension was handed down by then-Commissioner Faye Vincent. In 2015, ESPN had concluded its own investigation of Rose and determined that he had bet on baseball while still a player manager of the Reds. The result of the investigations were made public and revealed, and revealed records of bets that Rose had made on baseball, and U.S. federal authorities had seized the records from one of Rose's associates. So that was the number one event that happened this past week in sports history. Pete Rose, a.k.a. Charlie Hustle, banned from baseball for life. And coming up next is this, ep- is this week's uh, this episode shot out, and we'll go back to 1920 into one of the darkest incidents in the history of Major League Baseball. An incident where in its aftermath profoundly changed the game forever. And that's coming up right after this short break. Welcome back to the final segment of the show, which is this week's shout out. And this shout out deals with one of the darkest moments in the history of baseball. And it brought about rule changes that profoundly changed the game. Now, in the first two decades of the 20th century, great pitchers was the absolute kings of the game. With names such as Walter Johnson, Christy Mathewson, Grover Cleveland Alexander, Smokey Joe Wood, and Cy Young, runs were very hard to come by. The pitchers had a major advantage. Whenever a new ball was put into play, part of every pitcher's job was to make it dirty, make it hard to see, hence the term the dead ball era. The ball would be smeared with mud, tobacco juice, and other things, as well as being doctored with sandpaper. It was cut, spiked, and who knows what else. As over the course of the game, the ball would become a misshapen, earth-colored ball that was very, very hard to see and had a very irregular flight pass as it came over the plate. Now, on August the 16th, 1920, tragedy struck when Cleveland Indians were in New York to take on the Yankees at the Polo Grounds. On the mound that day was Yankee pitcher Carl Mays, who had a very deceptive submarine delivery and also possessed a very nasty reputation. And it was a late afternoon game. The Yankees were trailing the Indians when Cleveland shortstop Ray Chapman came to the plate in the fifth inning. 
Mays was pursuing his 100th career victory that day, and Chapman had had a sacrifice bunt in the first inning and popped up the Yankee first baseman Wally Pippen the third. Now with the count one ball and one strike, and angered that Chapman was crowding the plate, Mays let loose with a high fastball that he claimed was in the strike zone, but Chapman apparently never saw. The impact of the ball striking Chapman in the head was so loud that Mays, thinking it had hit Chapman's bat and was in play, caught the ball as it bounced onto the field and threw it to Wally Pip at first base. Chapman, trying to take his base after hit by the pitch, fell to the ground twice and was unable to get up. His teammates, that included Trish Speaker, who was on deck, raced from the on-deck circle to check on Chapman. He was joined by several players from the Indians and the Yankees, yet Mays never left the pitcher's mound. Home plate umpire Tommy Connolly noticed Chapman was bleeding from his left ear and screamed toward the stands for a doctor. As he was helped off the field by his teammates, Chapman was heard to mumble, don't worry, I'm alright, tell Mays not to worry, before falling unconscious. Chapman was taken to St. Lawrence Hospital, a short distance from the polo grounds, where surgeons operated and discovered a skull fracture. He initially seemed to rally after the surgery at about 4.40 p.m., but unfortunately, by 6 o'clock that next morning, he was dead. His pregnant wife, Katie, was summoned, to, summoned from Cleveland by phone and arrived at 10 a.m. and fainted upon learning that her husband had passed away. May stayed in the game and continued to pitch until being replaced in the ninth inning. Cleveland incidentally went on to win the game 4-3, and the New York District Attorney determined that the incident was indeed an accident, and no charges were filed. In an interview three months after Chapman's death, Mays expressed regret of the outcome, but he stated that he did not feel any guilt because he had not hit Chapman on purpose. Mays received the wrath of many opposing players who believed he beat Chapman deliberately. Chapman had been one of the few players that Cobb was on, I mean, Mays was one of the few players that Ty Cobb was actually on friendly terms with. Cobb was the most vocal critic suggesting that someone should give Mays a taste of his own medicine by hitting Mays with a pitch the same way he hit Chapman. Mays would go on to have the best, his best season the rest of the year. In 1921, he led the American League in wins with 27 in his pitched winning percentage. However, that same season, Mays, pitching for the Yankees, played in the World Series that others laid him accused of helping to throw, bringing back memories of the Black Sox scandals from two years earlier. These rumors, of course, were never proven, but they persisted long enough that combined with an already negative reputation among other players, both from Chapman incident and having, person, and having a personality that few found agreeable, he was never elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame despite having lifetime stats comparable to some pitchers that are already in the Hall of Fame. In a 15-year career, the Red Sox, Yankees, Reds, and Giants made compiled its 207-126 record with 29 shutouts and 862 strikeouts. Yet the biggest aftermath of the Chapman tragedy was that the umpire had orders that if a ball ever got dirty, he had to replace it with a spotless white new one. When that rule was put in place, overnight the advantage switched from the pitcher's mound to the batter's box, and with that ruling right there, the era of the home run hitter was born. 
Soon after that, men like Speaker, Hack Wilson, Paul Wehner, and a pitcher who'd recently joined the New York Yankees was transformed into a hitter and an outfielder. His name was George Herman Ruth Jr., and he would become a household name by hitting home runs thanks to the rule changes made by, by Major League Baseball to prevent an accident like what befell Ray Chapman from happening again. That is this week's Historically Speaking Sports shout-out, and this wraps up this week's episode. Thank you for joining us on this edition, and please remember to subscribe wherever you hear this podcast and others located here on the Sports History Network. And also check out our Twitter page at HistoricallySP2. And until next time, have a great week, everybody, and so long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.